What are you drinking today? Five barrels red ale. So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby podcast, and I'm happy to say we don't have to endure any other Super Rugby Australian team losses in 2021. That's right, it's all over for the Australian teams after another clean sweep in the final round, five successive losses. Leo, I don't know actually if you if it made it onto the podcast last week when you were talking about just putting a multi on all the New Zealand teams, um, but after Friday night, it looked like the perfect idea. Um, I'm sad we we didn't actually follow through with that because it probably meant that we could have made an Australian team win. Yeah, true. Someone would have won if we put the bet down. But um, mm. unfortunately, yeah, it was a bit riding on the wall with teams playing some, um, you know, still strong Kiwi sides and Australian teams fielding depleted lineups, a few people going on ice pre-Wallabies camp. So yeah, felt a bit inevitable. But, um, you know, some good some good games and some good showings by individuals as well along the way. Yep, so we end it with uh, the Highlanders and the Blues progressing to the Super Rugby final. Um, the Crusaders had a chance to make it, still didn't suffer any losses, um, but were six points short on points differential to get over the Highlanders. So congratulations do have to go to the Rebels that managed to hold them out. Um, some pretty impressive defensive work um, in that game, 52-26 to 26 in the end um, from the likes of a guy we're going to talk about in a little bit, like Andrew Kellaway, that single-handedly sort of stopped to a fair few Crusaders points in that game. And then we had on Sunday the Wallabies announcement live on Stan um, with Dave Rennie on there as well. And I had the Wallabies squad in front of me. I'm not going to read it out um, person for person, but obviously a few people that we'd expect to see there but have not made it because of injury. And those are the people from the likes of Jordan Patea, uh, Vunivalu um, also doesn't look like he'll be fit until um, the rugby championship either. Um, other names, Caden Neville's not there. We believe that's still because of an injury um, that's held him out of the sort of second half of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. I know we were a bit surprised, boys, a, a few names that, that, came in, that came out that we didn't expect. Um, a few more Waratahs than we expected, especially with the likes of Injuries suffered like um, by Isaiah Parisi and red cards suffered by someone like Lockie Swinton. Yeah, Arch, I think there was, and this is similar to last year, I think that's just some surprising selections from our point of view. But I think all in all, most of the right guys got in there. It was just some of the maybe more fringe selections that were confusing to us, but we'll talk through those, I'm sure. And the guys at the Rebels game on the weekend... It's a good showing by someone like Kellaway and I was there for that tackle. He just shows really good gas and, you know, his flexibility in the back line playing 13, playing on the wing or even probably his best position at fullback. I think he's actually got a lot to offer Australian rugby and he's still quite young. So it's really good to see him get another opportunity. I'm happy for him because that was his goal last year, coming back to Australia to actually get that opportunity and now it's paid off. So 
good good news stories like that, but there's also some guys that all feel pretty hard done by, I think. I would trade Simone for Forgetti. I don't understand how Forgetti gets in over Simone. Simone has the all-round game, playmaker, kicking, like big size, good defence. I just, I just don't understand how Fichetti gets in over him. Mm-hmm. And we know he wasn't injured. He was on the bench in that last game. And then I wouldn't he have... He started the last game. He was on the bench the game before and Kunzel was at 12. Yeah, so he deserves to be in over Fichetti. Um And then I would not have Lockie Swinton. I'd have Angus Scott Young. Would you not have him instead of Michael Wells? Well, Wells is the next one I would have crossed out. Wells, I think Wells has probably played better than Swinton. It's they're both, neither of them, I'm not excited by either of them. But I think Lockie Swinton's just too diabolical. It's not worth the risk. Angus Scott Young's been over the ball, running hard, defending everywhere. He's earned his spot. Um, I think he deserves to be there. So that annoys me that he hasn't... He would have been a bit of an out-of-the-blue for, for a lot of people, but I think he's deserving more so than Swinton. Yeah, I don't think that's... I would have said Lockie Swinton out Liam Gillen. I mean, Liam, Liam Ryan. But yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I, I, Angus I Scott Young is a very one-dimensional player, but he's reliable. I, don't think, he's, I think he's gotten less one-dimensional this year. I think he's been much more on the ball. He's been a good runner. He's been very high work rate. Mm. He's involved in lineouts. You know, hasn't hasn't certainly hasn't let them down. Think, He's been a good think, goal line defender. I think the, the guy rather that's taken his spot is Michael Wells. Probably, which is what Archie said. Similar player. And, and Michael Wells is another guy who's just tireless. I'd rather I'd rather have. Actually, I don't know the way right the way Wells has been playing. He's been everywhere, but I'd. You don't want so two of that, right? level player. You, you can't have two of that. I mean... Michael was a lot older than Angus Scott Young, too. Wells Angus is, Scott Young, Wells you can get a lot of a more stretch. years out. Fergus Lee Warner. Wells is not yeah. a big unit, either. Would you have Fergus over him, Toby? Yeah. Not but again, he's been screwed around this year by the force. Hmm. Last year, he was like, if he's if Wells is getting picked on his form this year, Fergus Lee Warner should have walked into the team last year. So that's that's a bit confusing. I would rather have Fergus Lee Warner over Swinton and I'd rather have Angus Scott Young over Wells. If they're if yeah, I casting players. I think that's fair. I don't I think, think Liam Wright fair. earned his spot. He's unfortunately I, was out too long and just never really got back on pace. It's very interesting that Rennie watched that Waratahs game, saw Swinton did what he did, and then defended him on the broadcast and still selected him. He must really like him. Well, it's the perfect excuse to go. Lost his head, needs to rein it in. hasn't been hasn't had the strongest of seasons either. We'll leave him out. So he must have a lot of faith in him to actually still pick him when he may not even get a game out of him. So he's going to take up someone's place in the training squad, and he may not even be with the training well, squad much if he's going to go play for Sydney Uni. You'll, yeah, I mean he has to, but he's he's going to get so six what? weeks, man. He's going to get six weeks. Six weeks for that is a joke. He has to, man. He's had multiple red cards. He doesn't have the six weeks played down to three because of what, good... What they're trying to do is get Lachlan no Boshier to say it was nothing. 
He already mentioned, Rennie already mentioned yeah, spoken to Bashir. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to get him to vouch for him, I think, and say, look, look, it was pretty minor. He'll probably get, I reckon he'll get three weeks. But Archie's right. Like a player like that, in, in isolation, maybe it's not six, but he's got a bad history now. So. Yeah, this makes it look bad. Like if this, this stays on his record, this now the next habit. time he does something, it's like he yeah. might even get more. I don't know what the rules are around it, but. Should should a player be able to be coaxed to, to come out and say, "Oh, it was it was fine in my book," and the referee looks stupid? Then, like, no, that makes no sense. The judi- no, but that's what they do. They get people to come in and say the judiciary will listen to that and say, "Oh, well, this guy actually took the hit and was like, yeah, no, it was pretty like, I didn't but, see any malice in it." But so but that counts for something. It's very different if they're having like a like a fight or a push or something like that, like the, to be like, oh, look, it wasn't that serious. It, you the know, way, even the way the Chiefs guys reacted, they didn't react that strongly. They were just a bit like, oh, that was a bit like, that looked a bit weird. But they, they didn't go like start grabbing him and try to fight him straight away. He didn't take Indicates a run up, did he? He was already kind of at the He room. was already down and he just went like. Yeah. That's the it's problem. Like, it was unneeded, but it was just obviously like so much frustration that he has. But I just thought that Rennie would just be like, well, brain I don't really want that in my team. Yeah. Can't afford to have those sort of... But he's done that before, even in when he got the red in the Wallabies game, Rennie came out and was like, oh, look, I think it was a bit unlucky. Had a really good half of football. And, um, you know, he'll learn from that. And I'm like, that's twice he's defended him on a red card. Mm. So he must quite like him. And I've heard him speak. He doesn't sound like the most um, intelligent player. So maybe he just likes that aggression. And maybe players, you never know on the field, players might be just like, Jesus, he hits so hard. Like if he's got that reputation, maybe that's someone you need against the All Blacks to intimidate them. If he can actually not get penalised in that fashion. Mm. Maybe it's like we need someone with stinging hair. It's like apparently like Matt Coban used to be a bit like that. Mm. I mean, Swinton was pretty obvious when he came on the scene how hard he was hitting people. We were noticeably going, whoa, like yeah. he's driving them back. But did you think that he's been like that this year? No, I think he's had probably his, It's Again, I think he's had a, quite a big dip in form. Mm. That's why I was surprised he got picked either way. But it just makes me it makes me convinced that Rennie has the utmost faith in him. He's going to pick him in a French series coming off a red card like that in a Waratahs team that has every excuse in the world not to pick many of them. Um, like I wouldn't have been surprised if like Hannigan got picked over him or something, you know. But Hannigan, yeah, like Hannigan's coming back, so I don't know. I know it's, there's a few selections in there, but I think we had a similar reaction last year. To be honest, you didn't see the sense of some of them. There were some of them we were like, "What the hell is he doing?" And Asami. then it kind of worked out. Yeah, exactly. Like so. maybe Fiketti's another situation where, in a better team, he's we're going to go. Oh wow, he's actually pretty decent. I don't know. I just don't understand when you think that. What if, uh, like someone like Fergus Lee Warner or even like Tim Anstey or something, like put them in like the Brumbies team and see what happens. Like, can you imagine well, yeah. if the Brumbies back row was Fergus Lee Warner and Samu and Valentini or something this year? Like, like when they had Fardy. 
Well, that's the problem. It's like, it's a guy like Michael Wells who turns up every week and performs well in a Rebels team that's pretty crap. And he gets recognised for that. And maybe he can take it to the next level given the opportunity to play in a better team. They have, um, they have already noted that they're drafting Ryan Lonergan in to cover uh, Jake Gordon as injury cover. So, um, yeah, that's that's one. But you're right, too. There's, there's always very little information. It's unfortunately curse of the small pond Australian sport landscape and journalists that we don't get more detail player to player with, with their condition and, and any updates. So Even, even Reese Hodge being named is a little bit curious to me. But... Again, I think there's just certain players when he's hopeful could be back um, and he's going to want them around the training groups. I don't know if he needs to formally name them or not, but they're there anyway. And, I mean, we hope these guys are able to get back because we don't have a whole lot of depth. If you look at some of the guys that have been named, I think it's not necessarily the strongest squad I've seen in recent years. But, look, I think it's exciting. There's a lot of deputants there again like last year. So, plenty of fresh faces to kind of see whether they can go to the next level. Now a position that we were a bit skeptical of um, with the first sort of players of interest squad uh, was hooker, obviously with none of the previously capped wallabies being named BPA has made his way into that. Do you think that's um, on the back of just his play or do you think that's Parecki potentially being injured for this? And that's the only reason. And are you surprised that Falafanga didn't get a mention? I am surprised that Flowerfang has fallen so far out of favour. Um, Katu's looked good. Um, his lineups have been fairly consistent, although he had a patch a week or two ago where he couldn't land one to save his life in the second half. Um, BPA, I think, is just represents your strongest incumbent scrummager. And although he's leaving, you need someone. Um, you need someone there to, to sort of stabilise at hooker someone who knows some of the sort of previous um, planning and strategy and, and the the style of play that this team's building into uh, from last year with Rennie kicking off. So maybe the Pony squad is a bit more of a let's let's bring all four um, potential rookie guys in and suss them out, see who's, you know, got the right attitude and got the right skills and just put them head to head and see what happens. And, and we'll just pick the best two, but we know we're going to take someone else. And maybe BPA's outplayed Falafanga, who, again, hasn't seen the paddock for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, and it hasn't just been, you know, at Wallaby's level. Um, Falafanga has had some trouble down at the Brummies actually securing that starting spot. And we kind of saw last year, once he was selected with Rennie, that he fell out of favour um, after a, a game or two anyway. So I think... There's something around him, whether it's his attitude or work rate or something. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's something there that needs to be fixed for him to go to to being a consistent Wallaby starter. I'm excited to see Lachlan Lonningen. I think there's so much potential there. Whether he's got the size for an international hooker probably remains to be seen, but he's definitely got the mobility and rugby smarts and a lot of those intangibles I think that the team could benefit from. Um, BPA, yeah, I think just around the park as a scrummager, his combination with Tupo, really strong. His line-out throwing is still a problem, but I think he's, you know, probably the most reliable tested option there. And then, um, you know, Kaitu'u, I think that's really, that's a good story as well. Um, And we don't know a whole lot about him apart from just seeing him play for the force, but he's a Sydney boy and I think 
he's found his opportunity over there in Perth. And look, he's another guy that could make that step up. And similar to Paisami last year, you could be saying, well, how do we not realise this all along? I think Rennie's got a good eye for detail and he's picking guys on more than just form. I think he looks at character intangibles, things like that off the park that actually could benefit the team. So, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting transition in hooker. We haven't found a long-term hooker yet and I think it'll take this whole year to actually sort that out. Another name from the force and a name that has been in the Wallabies before, but Sitaleki Tamani um, gets recalled. And I think there was an, it's over two and a half thousand days since he was last named in a Wallabies squad. So that's a bit of an achievement to come back and make a, enough of a name for himself where he gets um, into this squad. And I think a fair few of us, we were putting up our um, starting 23 uh, the the other day when this squad came out, I think a couple of us had him either starting and otherwise we all had him at least on the bench, didn't we? Yeah, which is a product of maybe some other names missing, um, but he certainly has it in his spot. He's been um, a big a big ball runner and a, a heavy tackler, a uh, big presence there for the force. It was a really, really well-timed signing, getting him in to accompany Jeremy Thrush and, and just bolster their squad. I think he's a really good addition to the Wallaby squad. He's going to come in with a lot of experience, been overseas for long enough. He will play it against a whole range of different opponents, probably some of the South Africans, certainly a lot of the Europeans, but earned his spot and, and brings that, that worldly experience to a group who otherwise, I suppose, aside from any of the incumbents, like this, there's still probably limited overseas experience. So, it's very. It's a nice compliment to Matt Phillip and uh, Lucan, um, those guys who have played a lot with the Wallabies, but um, maybe haven't seen their opponents in other in other teams before. Yeah, I haven't quite picked up on that. I think his knowledge of the French domestic league is huge, actually, and having spent, I think, seven seasons there, um, he's a guy that we would have loved to have kept back in 2013 when he left. But, you know, we haven't been able to get someone like Will Skelton back. But Tamani's almost the next best option, even though he's getting on in, in terms of age. He's shown he's fit enough. He's obviously big enough. He's going to hurt some people when he's out there. And he may even teach someone like Luke and Sadakai Loto a few things. Even though they're, they're similar kind of body shapes, they play a similar game in some ways, but the experience levels and the maturity are very different. Um, but, yeah, I think in terms of big bodies, they're just two guys that are going to really do the scrum well for the Wallabies. So I'm thinking with this sort of compressed three-test schedule over the course of two weeks that you're going to have at least one game where you have a sort of changed-up sort of squad. You're not going to be able to start the same 15 guys, three tests in a row in such a short period. And it may be what that second test, that second sort of midweek test um, where we do see a few rotations in. Is there one person uh, in there that you guys are especially excited to see debut and see what he can do on the national stage? Someone that is kind of interesting to me who I haven't been a huge fan of, you know, throughout his career, but Rob Liotta has been standing up quite a bit lately. And I do wonder whether, you know, Rennie's thinking, could he be a number six option as well? Because he's not your traditional second rower. Um, he's got a bit of versatility there and he's been smashing people in Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. 
So again, another bit of a guy that's an enforcer that probably doesn't have a lot of polish around his game, but maybe being in that Wallaby system can really, you know, really carve him into what he needs to be. Um, so he's someone I'm excited to see, maybe even just off the bench for one of the games and really get some good energy going in the last 20 of a game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think he he's probably viewed as a, a similar, just, you know, the, the, you can't you can't train up those physical assets sometimes. You've got Valentini, you've got Leota, these huge guys. If they can get Leota to develop further into the, the potential where he's using that bulk, that physicality, really effectively like that's that's just an asset that he has that very few other people do so um i've definitely noticed him in the last couple of weeks stepping it up and with some really good pace actually um in the backfield there the running away from uh whoever the whoever the rebels played two weeks ago um look i I actually as much as i don't think he belongs in this squad at, at the cost of Ira simone it will be very interesting to see someone like Fichetti if he gets a run, even if it's off the bench, um, see if in a better squad he does improve. Um, he, he does look look better because he's very dynamic. He's elusive. I don't think he's got the kicking game. I don't think he's got the ball playing game that Simone has, which is why I don't see him as a superior selection. But look, put him in the right spot on the field and he's, he's a breakaway threat. Uh, so yeah, if he if he gets an opportunity and and the Wallabies are on the attack, I'd be very interested to see how he fares against a top line French opposition. Who remember as well, I guess kept going to be carrying a big squad and rotating guys too. It's really interesting hearing you say that description of Fichetti because it's very similar to I think what we were saying when we saw Hunter's name in the Wallaby squad last year. And being like, oh, he's going to start. He might be the favourite to start even over Patea. And one thinking, oh, he doesn't really have those elements in his game in terms of kicking or ball playing. Um, and yet we saw suddenly Hunter being able to develop these things over the course of a couple of games in the jersey and taking on more and more the more opportunity that he got. Um, so I don't know, maybe Rennie's seen something that he, he thinks he can develop. Uh, I doubt that we'll uncover a brand new Hunter Baisami here, but still, like you said, I'm I'm very interested to see what he can do at that level as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, Hunter's unique. He, every game he plays, we seem to be seeing him uh, soak up a new talent. He, he's stealing skill sets off people and using them against them. Uh, he's playing much more of a ball player the last couple of weeks for the Reds where they've been short. They're, they're James O'Connor and, and win one game Hegarty. So, if, if Fichetti turns out, you know, even three quarters of that, um, there's be another asset. I, I haven't really seen it for the Waratahs, but look, it's, it's not exactly the best measure, is it? There's been times when he and Parise have been absolutely electric and you just kind of wish you'd get to see more of it, but it's a product of the, the team they're in and the success they weren't having. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's hope the Wallaby squad brings out the best in him. Some players, I think, perform... Like, regardless of what team they're in, they're just going to be that player. Other teams just rise to the occasion when they're given an opportunity to play in a better system. I think that's what Rennie looks for almost. He looks for that untapped potential. And the Rebels didn't see it with Paisami, but then suddenly the Reds and Rennie did it, like kind of just noticed it. And now we've seen a year and a half later, he's almost one of the first guys you'd be picking. 
I felt really unhappy with this squad when they were announcing it. Oh, yeah. Once they got through it, I felt like, wow, they've missed some really critical people and there's some real goons in there that I wasn't happy about at all. But on reflection, I've only drawn lines through three or four people and think- some of them are a bit 50-50 as well. So it's really just my feelings versus Rennie. Guys like Angus Scott Young, guys like Tom Robertson over Scott Co. Like, I think I think Hosea is the probably the person who would have to be a glaring omission. But there are a lot of guys that are injured. I think that I would, you know, that you want to see there and then haven't been named like Vunavalu. I think not seeing names like that on the list suddenly think you start thinking, oh, we look a bit bare. Sarah Uru was someone who I was really hoping would get in there, but I don't think he's a glaring omission because he hasn't really even solidified himself as a starter for the Reds. Um, so, yeah, I guess it would have to be Hosea. I think there's a few injuries that when, when they come back, we're going to feel a lot better about actually the the 40 or 38-man squad. I think it's going to look a lot more healthy. The other thing about Hosea as well is, like, you really, I don't know how, how at risk we are of discouraging certain guys and them looking for opportunities elsewhere. Like, imagine if you lost Hosea overseas to Japan or France you know like there goes another young lock who was playing well didn't get an opportunity because someone decided oh it's better to have Leota in as a bolter or we think Darcy Swain's been been better and you're like oh but you got to give those guys the chance if they're being held back by their team get them in the Wallaby squad and develop them further interesting though because he I mean Jose has been one of the better players for the Rebels probably this year but obviously, Rennie's gone, well, I just prefer the look of Darcy Swain because they're very similar players. They're quite mobile, slightly maybe underweight locks. They need to kind of grow into their own body a little bit. But they've both got the height to play the position internationally. Um, Jose is probably a bit more mobile and a better ball carrier overall. But I think Swain could develop into that further. But, yeah, it's probably just the case of the fact that Matt Phillips there that's where Jose has missed out. I just was looking up and he, he, Jose has signed on till 2023. So at least Randy maybe knows that he's not going to lose him straight away. I do wonder sort of, and I don't know the intricacies of the lock position, but in terms of having players that will actually run your line out. And I don't know if every second rower is capable of running a line out or, having sort of the, I don't know whether it's the just the experience of um, looking at what the opposition's doing and being able to make the right decision. Yeah. That's part of the reason I think Matt Phillip sort of ends back up um, in I this squad so quickly. Like, you probably see him starting because of that um, factor. Um, I'm not sure that... Maybe do, I'm wrong about Tamani, but I don't think Tamani or Lucan would be able to run the lineup. Well, given Caden Neville's probably been running it the majority of the time for the Brummies, I think Swain probably is a little bit underdone in that aspect. Whether Tamani can do it, I'm not sure, but I think Matt Phillip will probably be paired with either one of Lucan Salakai Loto or Tamani as their kind of tight head side lock with the, the bigger frame, more power, and then Matt Phillip be, brings a bit more mobility and the smarts in the lineup. Yeah, I think that's right. And I actually would go as far as saying whether it was Hosea or possibly Michael Wells was calling some lineouts for the Rebels um, in in this season. So yeah, those, those yeah, I think Wells is actually involved there. So um, I don't think Lucan does a lot of calling. I think you're right. They're, they're engine room guys. 
Matt Phillip maybe with the call. Um, my only knock on Swain, I, I think he's a good all-round player and he's got lots of prospects. I think he's just disciplined. His discipline is maybe a little bit lacking. He's, he's been a, a bit of a penalty threat for the Brumbies this year. He's been sort of the guy giving away like loose high shots that haven't really, you know, they're not, they're not reckless or anything. They don't, they don't really punish and, and get him off the field, but certainly put them under pressure when they were defending in their, in their half. And, and that's, you know, a, a, a piece of the game that when Rennie in the um, squad announcement started talking about, oh, you know, we want to have a dark side this year. Like got to, I think that's, you know, that's grittiness. That's, you know, maybe being willing to, rather than being the choir boys of rugby and not being willing to break any rules and, you know, standing up and pointing at the All Blacks saying, oh, they broke a rule and not getting value for that. It's, you know, you've got to be willing to really push the line of the ref's interpretation and really, you know, try and, try and, you know, use your, use your dark side in the ruck, in the mall, in the scrum, in the line out and try and win a bit of advantage when maybe you're, you're, you're bending the rules a bit. I think um, if you look at this forward pack, there's a huge amount of size in it. And that's probably one of the things in, in the first instance that I haven't quite appreciated, but between guys like Falmasili, Leota, Nicerani, Swinton, Tamani, Rob Valatini, like there's some big boys in there. It's probably only at the number seven position where we're going to be playing either Hooper or McWright. The rest of the guys are pretty huge for their position. Um, even our front row, when you get Taniella in there, BPA is a big hooker. And then probably Angus Bell, but it slips as well. They're all good-sized guys. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to have a fair bit of weight and size to our second row. And that may be to combat what the French have in terms of size and kind of skill and speed. They have quite a, a mobile pack as well as having some of that size. I think what Rennie's probably just realised that maybe the way forward here is in our forwards at least, we have to physically dominate our opposition. Um, and with a team like the All Blacks, if you can impose yourself, then suddenly you get that platform to work off with some of those really skillful and quick backs. So maybe that's the approach he's taking this year in terms of bringing that dark side, bringing that physicality and that real aggression into the game. Okay, another question for you. What Australian player has the most dark side, if that's the um, term we're using here um, in their game? And are they on this list? In the forwards? Anyone. Well, probably Corabidi, right, in terms of his aggression and the way he plays the game. But, oh, I mean, Swinton, you'd have to say, is probably the most aggressive forward. He's the most Dane Coles in Australian of, of that rugby. Team. But he's just prone to these silly mistakes, which I think are going to really hurt his chances. I mean, he could be rubbed out of this French series. We, we haven't seen that yet. But he's the kind of guy that can get rolled up and make a poor choice and then suddenly you're down a man for the whole game, as we saw against the All Blacks last year. So do you want that risk in your team? I'd much rather have guys like Valentini that are bringing similar sort of aggression and physicality without the sort of silly errors maybe. I think I think the thing for me that separates dark side from just like violent raw physicality and and um, you know almost anger in in, in your contact. Is it IQ. Well, no, not not so much IQ. The way you it's, apply it's, it. Yeah, it's but but it's subtle, right? So who has if you had to pick a player of all time who had if if I'm defining dark side right, 
um, who had a lot of it. I mean, it's someone like Richie McCaw, right? He comes off as a respectable absolutely. player. He's very good at what he does, but he's absolutely looking for every little piece of advantage he can take. And whether that's a bit of a, a bit of a bump in the lineup, just to, just to upset the jumper. If it's a, you know, it's a bit of a um, hand in the ruck. If it's a bit of push in back play off the ball, just to, just to niggle someone. Like, I think you want to develop something like that in someone like maybe Harry Wilson. Like he's, he's a, he's a young guy but we've seen him become like, okay, your job is to, you know, push around the 10. You're going to lay out the 10 a couple of times and just, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to put him in a, in a wheelchair, not put him in hospital, but you're just going to let him know you're there and you're just going to keep niggling. But everything else he's doing is really high quality and he's involved everywhere. And no one's going to come off and say, he's just a hack. He's just a brute. And we don't want that. And he's a, he's a target for penalties from the ref they're going to probably give him a little bit of leeway and be like, ah, no more of that. And he can go, okay, no worries. And then back off and then maybe, maybe start doing a few other things in a, in a different way that don't draw the same sort of attention or at least don't count in the same way against him so that he can, you know, consume a bit of that credit with the ref a couple of times over. Like that's, that's something which McCaw was excellent at. Um, someone like Coles is good at it, but maybe, maybe takes it a bit too far and is a bit too vocal you know, bit becomes a bit visible. Um, Swinton, I worry that he's a there's a liability, and that's why he's not in my twenty three when we pick the side. But we have a lot of you know really polished, nice guy type players, and I think they need to get a bit grittier and they need to start stealing a few opportunities, even if they're bending the the rules. Because to some degree, you've got to let the ref run the game, and if he's going to pull it up, he's going to pull it up. But if he's if he if you're not going to take some chances, then you're not going to find out if he's going to pull it up. And you may miss out on some opportunities that the other team are taking. And that's what the All Blacks have been a lead at for so long. I'd probably interpret it a little bit differently in terms of dark side. Maybe you're talking more about the dark arts and bringing that sort of rugby smarts with a dark side to it. But I think just pure aggression-wise, I think Farmer Silly could be that sort of guy um, just with the way he plays the game. Even Leota on the weekend, I saw how hard he was hitting guys and how direct he was in his running. Um so, yeah, I don't know. It's, there's probably different facets to it. But in terms of all-out aggression, I think there's plenty of guys in there that can really take us to the next level. Um, and we were always, if you're picking guys like Matt Phillip or similar kind of guys that play a pretty clean game and pretty, they play hard, but they play pretty clean um, and they're not overly aggressive. But I think now we've probably got a good balance of guys that can bring that more like that state of origin style of aggression to a game which I think sometimes can be that extra bit of edge that you need to, um, to get to the next level of your play. Yeah, that's fair enough. And if you, t- if you interpret it that way, then call dark side, you know, um, today or today in this phase, I'm, I'm the defender and I've got the 10. Am I going to just, just, you know, hit him or am I going to try and really put one on him? Well, the dark side says, "Well, this is a critical player for this opposition side. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it everything." Whereas if you're just, you know, banking a tackle on another back rower and it's one of many phases, are you gonna waste your energy on something like that? Perhaps not. So it's picking your moment to to really put a meaningful hit on and start putting questions in the mind of your opposition guys like the ten guys like the scrum half. Um, make them really reconsider if they're gonna run at you again next time. Uh, save the energy for those critical moments. 
It's something that someone like Wycliffe Parlow did really well in terms of just timing his hits well, imposing himself on the game. Jerry Collins, Jerome Kano, these sort of guys. Even Matt Cobain, if you want to go back a bit further. Justin um, Harrison. In a different way, maybe. He brought the niggle, maybe not so much the physicality, but he was a smart player in his own right. He was probably more about the psychology of it all. Um, but, yeah, you need a whole mix of these guys. Um, and I think we're starting to get there. There's a lot of untested guys in a lot of ways in terms of long-term international caps. But, yeah, I think the building blocks are there. It's just like we need to start getting on track. We've got two years to the World Cup. This is a pretty pivotal year in the kind of development of this squad. All right, I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about um, what we expect to see from our starting 15s um, a little bit closer to, to this French series. Let's quickly have a look at the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman final. Um, the Blues obviously beat the force. It wasn't hugely convincing. They had a good first half, 28-0, and then they sort of let the force back into this game, ending at 31-21. to So a few sort of areas of worry, whereas the Highlanders sort of kept it close with the Brumbies early, 14-12 at halftime, and then just ran away with it, a bit of a, a masterclass. Again, orchestrated by that little man, Aaron Smith, again. They come up against each other at Eden Park this Saturday night. What are we expecting? I think this would be a great game. And I'm actually really excited that it's not more Crusaders and more Chiefs. Um, the fact that there almost gets to be another final um, for a couple of different Kiwi sides that are um, probably less less about pure structure and, you know, really this is all out attacking flair. Um, this this game will will be big on points. And not to say that either team isn't good in defence, but I think this will be an open game. I think the, particularly the Highlanders like to chance their arm in a lot of different ways. They'll be testing the Blues, um, you know, short kicks, long kicks, kicks kicks for sort of high catches on the on the wing, um, and then a lot of really good forward play as well. I think th- this game will be high scoring and. Um, I guess I guess I probably think the Blues will have it, but you just got to love the Highlanders. They're just such a wild card team. They can create so much from so little possession and opportunity wise. Um, and they've had some guys who, again, you, you wouldn't really rate, but they've been standing up for them this season. Guys like Gregory have been playing twelve, and I don't think I've seen him play in the centres before this year, and has actually been really solid. Um, so uh, you know, a lot, a lot to. Uh, a lot to expect from this game being high point, high point score and, and very exciting and a good finale to Trans-Tasman if you can put behind you the, the 23 losses the Australians incurred. Yeah, I think Highlanders have definitely have an opportunity here and I think the Blues even the last couple of weeks or so have flattened a little bit in terms of their form. I just get the sense that with the, the playing stock they have, playing at home, um, I think they'll rise to the occasion. I think they'll see this as such an, a good opportunity to get another, you know, inverted commas really title in the bag after a, a pretty hard decade, really. If you look at their, the way that they've kind of had success year to year, it hasn't been consistent. So I think this is a real opportunity for them. The bookies are backing them pretty well at $1.37 to the Highlanders three twenty. So if you're looking for some value, I think the Highlanders are still a pretty good bet. Um, but my money would be on the Blues. I think the way that they're 
the talent they have in that team, they have the, the potential to put on a lot of points. And um, yeah, like Leo said, I think it's just really good to see that it's not just a Crusaders show um, going for what would have been a, a sixth title in a row, I guess, if you count those Aotearoa titles. So it's pretty big that the Highlanders and Blues are in the finals. You know, Chiefs, Hurricanes and Crusaders are out of it and that's a unique place for, um, you know, New Zealand rugby to be really. Um, but, yeah, good way to finish the season and I'm looking forward to getting on with the internationals. Another, um, another point to this as well is that these teams haven't played another New Zealand team for seven weeks now, something thereabouts. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a different intensity. Like, unfortunately, the Australian teams, for the most part, didn't show the same intensity and were comprehensively beaten by these Kiwi sides by double-digit um, margins. And now they face each other once again. So uh, the early phases of this game will be interesting where if one team really opens up and goes hard and the other team doesn't doesn't match that intensity, then they could be very quickly finding themselves a couple of tries down. Uh, so that's something that they've got to be wary of. Obviously, they're all very familiar uh, and they shouldn't be caught out by that. But it'd be interesting to see. It's, it's not often you get a run of that many games or that many weeks without seeing New Zealand opposition and then get thrust into a final to to try and take them back on. Leo, who are you taking in this? Oh, I thought you were going to ask Toby first because as it happens... He said I'm, he's taking the Blues. Yeah, I'm taking the Blues. I did. Okay, fair enough. I can choose to tip the same as him and I will beat him in our Trans-Tasman tipping pool because I've just jumped him into the lead. We're actually on equal points, but I have one more win point from picking. Yeah, well, so you better get your margin, right? That's right. I'm, I'm going to take you. You know my magic margins. I'll just apply my algorithm. Yeah, I actually applied that this week. I applied right. this week and I topped the, I topped the yeah. group for the week. There you go. I got a 13-point week. Not not just a not just a good um, tip, but a good teacher. Yeah. Uh, look, I'll, I'll probably go the Blues as well. I think at home, um, all around the park, they're just very strong. Um, they'll they'll have to drop off for quite a lot to to lose this one, I think. But it'll be an exciting game. I'll be watching, um, giving the opportunity anyway. It's 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 always exciting when the Highlanders are involved. I think I've got to take the Blues as well. Um, even with a bit of a injury cloud over people like Tom Robinson um, suffering a head knock in that game on Friday night, um, as long as they have what looks like a solid sort of full-strength team, I think there's there's a lot of those new guys that weren't touted as the classical Blues superstars that have stepped up this year. Um, and I think they'll, they'll take it here and they'll, they'll have the watchful eyes of Bowden, um, who's got back to Auckland now. Um, he's been joining in a few training camps with them as well. Uh, so he'll, he'll be keen to, to see his boys hopefully get a victory before he comes back to them next year. Leo is still top of the world in Major League Rugby and everything else in life, right? Sure. I was doing my best to falter this week, though. I didn't actually get my tips in on time and missed the first game. So I've, uh, I've, I've lost a bit of a gap to the second place. But uh, don't worry, I'm back on my game. I'll be paying attention this week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good to, good to see you applied the algorithm, Toby. You've, you've yeah. had a very successful week. Into the top thousand, it's pretty exciting for me. That's awesome, man. Well I don't done. think I'm going to be able to get to you, mate. But um, and another win for my guillotini. So keep on rolling, guillotinis. Proud of you. Have you ordered the guillotini shirt yet? 
I have actually. Um, you may have seen on some of the Instagrams, I think Swoopy put it up. We put um, it up. Yeah, we put it up, but initially he put it up. So you can check out our Instagram stories. It should be up there still. Um, but, yeah, it's a guy called, I'll just get his name because I think he deserves a shout-out. Um, so it's Fa'u's Collection, F-A space U-C-E space Collection um, on Instagram. So pretty talented guy, puts together quite a few different collaborations in terms of T-shirts with different players and featuring the different titles that they've won. Um, so the Guiltinis, although this is their debut season, they put together a T-shirt there, which is pretty interesting with Gits and AAC and Billy Meeks and Valdem DTH Vandermerver or something yep. on the yep. wing there. Um, so there's, yeah, it's just interesting to see what people can actually pull together with a bit of creativity. And there's, they've got the Chiefs t-shirts. They've got some of the Australian women's sevens. Um, yeah. So there's a fair bit of variety there. You can message him on Instagram if you want one of those t-shirts and he will send it through to you in the mail. And if you're having any trouble finding him, um, just send us a message. We'll happily send you on in the right direction. And um, we're obviously on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Uh, if you need any of those information or any of your other rugby news needs, there's always stuff going up there. Um, thanks to our social media manager, Toby Hughes over here. Otherwise, I think we'll leave it there for the week. Make sure you are downloading and subscribing to us, guys. Um, we'll be back next week. Are we going to do another one next week? Or maybe maybe we'll have a bit of time off before the before the French games. Yeah. Might need Maybe some time off. to prep and strategize, come up with okay. a, a, a good approach for these Aussie guys to, to take the French down. Oh, I need to do a bit of a deep dive. I'm going to go in and have a look at this uh, French team and exactly what tactics they're going to employ and um, who's, who's going to miss out um, from their squad who might be strung up playing in the French league sort of final um, and may not get to make the, the touring squad. Anyway, We'll leave that for a little bit later on. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Keep on running. Run.